You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Hey, welcome here to Sun Grove Church this morning. We're so glad you're with us. We're going to ask you to take your Bible out. We're going to jump into God's Word. My hope is during this Family Life series that we will not just talk about practical what to do. So often when you talk about family life, you say, here's how to parent, here's how to uh, dress modestly, here's what God says about things like divorce or adultery, here's what God does in different ways. But what we're going to do is my heart in this series is to help you and I create values on the inside. Because if we create values on the inside, those values then attach to and influence our behavior on the outside. Our culture is always in an effort to influence values. And so our heart this, during this series is for the sake of the family, whether you're a single, whether you are married, whether you have kids in the house, whether the kids are grown and gone, whether you are a senior adult, whether you are looking at life's last years even, our heart is, we talk about this family life series, that God would continue to create his values on the inside that work their way out to the outside. When my son Matthew was two and a half, uh, Zachary would have been a year and a half older than him. Uh, Joshua would have been, you know, like a year old. And uh, Zach and Josh would run around in our house. We lived in Colorado at the time, and our house was a little white farmhouse. And on the inside, the way it was set up is you could run through two bedrooms, back through the kitchen, through the living room, and run around in a circle. And the boys loved it because they could just loop. You know, they could just loop. They just run this loop the whole time. It wasn't like they run down the hallway to one end, then run down back the other. They, they could have that continuous loop. And Heather loved it because the kids could run around and play. And she would just, you know, they would just keep going by. And if they stopped, she'd go see what was going on and, you know, check in on them. Well, one of these days, they're running around in the loop. And Zachary's chasing Matthew. And he reaches out to playfully touch him, pushes him in the back. Matthew falls forward. And you know how it is when you're like two and a half? You put your hands over your head and your hands don't go here. Your hands go here, right? And they're fully extended. But that's just how big your arms are, right? So he falls forward and he puts his little hands out, but his head hits the bed frame on our bed in our bedroom. So it instantly just cuts his head wide open. Heather calls me at work. Matthew's bleeding. I can't get the bleeding to stop. I'm putting pressure on it. And so we, you know, call the paramedics and we take him in uh, to the emergency room and he has to get stitches. And so he's, you know, he already has had this traumatic event. He doesn't like it. And we go into the emergency room, and they're going to give him stitches. And so they put him on this little table, and they lay down this, this blanket. They put him on the table, and then they wrap him in what is called the Velcro blanket. It's an immobility device for, like, little kids because they're, like, they can't thrash around while we're, you know, doing stitches. And so they put him in the, in the like, total, like, the straight jacket for children. And they, you know, basically just wrap him in this big Velcro blanket. It's like a carpet. And then the doctor goes, oh, and, Dad, you're going to have to hold his head while I do the stitches. And I'm like, okay, got to do this. You know, so I'm, I'm standing there. I'm holding it. The doctor comes, gives him a shot, starts to do this. And Matthew hates it. He's like yelling the whole time, Dad, why are you doing this to me? Why would you do this? Oh, I don't like this. You know, let me go. Let me go. Dad, why? You know, he's just appealing to me. And as a dad, I'm going, oh, this is horrible. I'm totally the bad guy, but I have to be the bad guy to get the good that you need. You need these stitches in your head. But he just, you know, at that age, you just don't understand. And you feel like you're wrapped up in the Velcro blanket. And to this day, Matthew hates to be immobilized. 
He just doesn't love it. You know, like if, if he comes in his blanket, if we're wrestling around, he's a teenager now. And, you know, even a couple years ago, I think if we're wrestling around and I wrap him up in, oh, he just, he hates it. He will like, you know, he will spring his way out because that just is not pleasant for him. When we talk about the issue of modesty, it's frustrating because there are times that we think modesty is a list of do's and don'ts or it's a dress code. And many of you, like me as a parent or others, have been frustrated when the dress code lets you down or fashion changes or things happen and you get really frustrated by it. And to some people in our culture, they've just written off modesty. Like we just throw that out like that is so old. We've dismissed it. Because to them, it just sounds like a fashion set of do's and don'ts that to them sounds like a Velcro burka that's going to trap them and constrain them and doesn't really apply to today. Well, i got to be honest. When modesty is simply reduced to a dress code, people get trapped. Parents, how many times have you ever said, okay, I'm going to make a rule. You know, I'm trying to teach modesty, but I'm making it a dress code. So the dress code is no bikinis. You know, and so you, maybe you say that to your kids, and then all of a sudden, fashion designs the tankini. Remember that thing? It's like a little half top, and then, you know, you had your, your bikini bottoms. And then you're like, what do you do with that? Or, you know, how many times have you gotten trapped? I mean, how many inches above the knee is too short for a skirt to be? Is there, like, a certain, like, like godliness line, and then over that line is like, oh, ungodly. I mean, did you see men's shorts in the 80s? Because I think we were way over that line. I'm not sure, but I think shorts are going back that way. This kind of swing is like long is cool, and now I think we're headed back toward the 80s. But you often, if you try to make modesty, which is a heart value, an internal, if we try to take modesty, which is a virtue and a value, and we try to make it an external dress code, it's simply a list of behaviors, we've missed the point. It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be painful for you as a parent. It's going to be painful for you as a single. It's going to be painful for you as a teenager. But have you ever considered teaching and training the value of modesty? In other words, what are modesty's protections and how does it strengthen you? Have we ever considered forming the value of modesty in our own heart or in the heart of a child because then the application makes its way out in any fashion and in any culture. You travel around the world, levels of modesty change in different cultures. You go to India and you pull up a camera and girls will all cover their teeth. It's, a, it's an, act, uh, an act of modesty. It's just very different than here. But modesty changes. But if we instill and train the value of what modesty is intended to do, what did God intend it to do? then its application becomes clear for the user because they already own that in their heart. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 says this, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. So Peter's speaking in this context to women and he's actually saying this. He's not saying, I'm against gold, or I don't like your hairstyle. He's not saying that. He's saying, listen, whatever you do elaborately on the outside is not going to create the beauty that you desire, real, honest beauty on the inside. What you do on the outside is simply a cover-up. It's not true beauty. 
And so he's saying this, listen, whether in everything that you do, your beauty shouldn't come from just outward dorm. It's not saying don't use makeup. It's not saying, you know, don't, uh, you have to dress a certain way or you have to cover everything up or never let anybody see you. What it's saying is that your beauty, true beauty is not accomplished by what we do on the outside. True beauty begins to get accomplished by who we are on the inside. And I want you to understand this principle. Modesty owned as a value protects your inner person and lovingly protects those around you. See, God created you and I to protect our hearts and to value other people. Our society, though, is pushing. It's like chasing you around with the bug net, trying to catch you. It's pursuing you. It's after you. And it's tearing the time frame in regard to modesty lower and lower. It's just tearing that apart. We used to, you might remember the day when we used to go and, and you wanted to be cute and you wanted to be fashionable. And that was the intent, be cute and fashionable. Well, our culture's changed that now to be hot and sexy. Like cute and fashionable isn't good enough. That's maybe just what you do when you're a child. But watch as we take childhood actors or actresses and we make them cute and fashionable. And then they grow up. And then how does culture chase them down with the bug net? It pursues them until they have a crash in their real beauty and they lose their value. And their value now is either that they show it all off at the expense of their inner soul or that they refuse to and that they're rejected by culture or they go so far to the extreme that culture just waits to set them up so it can shoot them down. We're being pushed from behind. We're running. We're falling. And at times, a lack of modesty in our culture creates a scar on our beauty, the real us. Modesty is natural. A lot of you will be like, I don't know how natural. You know, modesty is very natural. Ladies, when you're outside and the wind starts blowing and you feel your skirt start to lift, what do you do? What's your natural instinct, right? Or if you're Scottish and you're wearing your kilt, right? <laughs> just instantly, you're just going to, like, grab that thing. Guys, why do you check your fly after using the restroom, right? It's, just, it's a natural, it, modesty to protect ourselves. Modesty is a natural instinct. It's something that God put in the human fabric. God gave us this built-in protection of modesty to increase our true beauty and to be taken seriously as a man or a woman in any culture. The idea is this, that God wants us to dress with dignity. Now, I said this to the to first hour as well, that this morning when you and I walk in here, we begin to talk about the issue of modesty. There's a very real evil one who hates that you're in church today. And he's going to come along and try to play the shame game and make you question yourself about what you chose to wear to church today. And is that okay? And is, are people looking at you funny? And here's what I want to do. All of us right now, just take a moment. We're going to just reject that outright. We're going to say, no, God is going to birth and create something new on the inside. What I'm wearing today is irrelevant. I'm not going to give the enemy a foothold to begin to mess with me today. So I just want to let you free yourself up for a minute, not have been under any spirit of, of condemnation because we are all works in progress. We all have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We're not accomplished yet. We're not finished yet. God's working stuff. And what I want you to understand today as we talk about modesty is God wants to work something in here before he works something out here. I just want you to understand that as we talk it. The idea is that we dress with dignity because modesty owned as a value protects your inner person and lovingly protects those around you. We say, how does it protect others? And, and why would it be my responsibility to protect others? Isn't that their responsibility? And I should just be able to, to be myself. Well, Philippians chapter 2, 
verse 3 and 4, Paul writes, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. The idea is, is everything we do, in everything we do, look to value others is more important than ourselves. In other words, we're not to just be vain. We're not to just be conceited. But in choosing humility, we're to ask, how do I dress to dress with dignity? But how do I dress to honor those around me, to honor other people? Now, let's be honest. Uh, modesty fluctuates even around the country. If you grew up in Hawaii, to think that as a young person that you wouldn't have a bikini is just very, very odd. And i got to be honest, as a youth pastor for a long time, uh, you know, we would go to camps and different things, and you got this thing, it's like a dress code, and it, it always seemed to trap, and what we tried to do, Heather tried to do with the gals, I would try to do with the guys, is instill a value of modesty in here, because it then projects on, out on the outside that guys are working on their purity, and that guys are working on lessening their overconfidence, or their vanity, or their arrogance, and that women, that they were dressing with dignity, and then dressing to honor others around us. Let's be honest. Modesty in our culture, it, it's, they think it's kind of crazy. Why? Because our culture elevates the flesh. It's got nothing to stand on, so it's going to elevate the only thing we have, which is what's on the outside. Everything our culture preaches is the outside. Even if you don't have money, you try to look like you have money, so people think you do, even though you might have a lot of debt. It preaches the outside. And we're being dishonest with ourselves and being dishonest with other. Modesty confuses our culture because culture puts its confidence in the flesh. Why is a virgin mysteriously attractive to a man who's promiscuous? Why? Uh, honestly, in his heart, he wants her beauty, he wants her specialness, he wants her heart all to himself. But culture is depleting the virgin pool through shame and through sexual immorality. Our culture is pushing us, chasing you with the bug net, trying to catch you. And if it can't do that, it's trying to throw you down and trip you up. And we are erasing the protections that God has just built in for us. And we're leaving ourselves unsatisfied and vulnerable and lacking confidence and depressed and lonely. God wants so much more for your day-to-day -day experience living in the center of his will than you might be experiencing. Modesty fluctuates in different places. I grew up in Southern California. Being down on the beach and seeing lots of stuff didn't really phase me. I moved to Colorado. We went out on the lawn one afternoon, and I'm playing volleyball, and it was hot, and I take my shirt off, and we're playing volleyball, and some people in Colorado looked at me and went, what are you doing? I'm taking my shirt off. I'm playing volleyball. It's, it's hot out here. They're like, uh, we don't do that here. And you know what? In many ways, they didn't. I just had a cultural experience like I didn't know. And just it was different, just fluctuated in different places. So please, you don't make a blanket rule for every area, every place. But what we want to do is say, if I understand my culture and I have the principle of modesty as a value in my heart, I'm going to look to protect myself and also the interests of others. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 8, Paul says this. Remember, we just went through the book of Thessalonians, and now this is 1 Thessalonians. He's saying, here's some first things before we went through all the second things just in our last series. He says this, it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, 
that each of you should learn to control your body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. Our culture wants to push us into sexual immorality. God says, listen, I have a better plan for you. I have a better plan to live in my will and for your day-to-day, and that is I've called you out from the world. I've called you to be set apart. Sanctified means set apart for holiness. I've called you for something better, something I actually created you for. And I'm calling you out from our culture. Author Wendy Shout tells of her experience with a co-ed dorm in college, and I want to read this to you, so listen along. She says this, It's all very democratic, But the votes of whether the bathrooms are co-ed in the dorm or male and female on the floor always seem to go in the co-ed direction because no one wants to be thought a prude. And when I objected, I was told by my fellow students that I must not be comfortable with my body. Frankly, she says, I didn't get that because I was fine with my body. It was their bodies in such close proximity to mine that I wasn't thrilled about. And then people wrote to her saying, I thought I was the only one who couldn't stand these bathrooms. She says this, how could so many people feel that they were the only ones who believed in privacy and the protection of modesty? It was troubling that they were afraid to speak up. When and why, I wonder, did modesty become such a taboo? I would submit that today we have less, not more freedom compared to when modesty was upheld as a virtue. It's important to recall that when colleges had separate dorms for men and for women and all the visitation rules that went along with them, it was still possible at that time for students to circumvent those rules. She said it was possible for them to sneak into each other's dorms and act immodestly. But in the new culture of liberal, uh, liberation, you can't sneak into the dorms and be modest. Or more accurately, you can't sneak out. There is no right of exit in today's immodest society. If you don't participate, you're weird. That's where our culture is pushing us. If you don't move to hot and sexy, you're weird. And God's saying, listen, it's okay to be weird because normal isn't working. It's all right. To be weird, we need to understand the heart of modesty, the protections it gives us, and also the strength it gives us. It's interesting to me that those who reject modesty, who just say, forget it, I'm not doing that, they just outright reject modesty, they attract unsustainable attentions. So they're attracting attentions to themselves, but those attentions are unsustainable. If you build a relationship built on immodesty or sexual immorality, you're attracting to yourself Attentions from another person that's not sustainable because fashion changes, your body changes. Those things, that vanity is so temporary in and of itself. You're attracting attention to yourself that are unsustainable. A lot of people are figuring this out. And immodest culture weakens men too. I mean, we're all at the mercy in today's age 
of being evaluated and judged as sexual objects. I mean, look at the explosion of forms of body enhancement or plastic surgery. You know, it's not only expensive, but it makes us a little bit dishonest in that we're trying to say I'm being accepted for who I'm really not, or maybe myself plus something extra. And sometimes those attentions that we receive are unsustainable. You just can't keep up with those attentions. It's fascinating to discover how many women are returning to modesty because they found simply as a practical matter that immodesty wasn't working for them. In short, they weren't successful finding the right men. So they said, well, we got a time out. I kept doing the bar scene. I kept doing all this stuff, and I, it's not working for me, so I've got to change tactics. And they're returning to a point of dressing themselves with a dignity and showing honor to other people while still being incredibly fashionable, cute, and beautiful. In truth, modesty is the opposite of prudery. See, the prudish and the promiscuous person both shield themselves from being moved by others. Think about that at one extreme. A prudish person says, I reject the sexuality with which God created me. I reject myself. I don't want any, I'm trying to overprotect myself in so many ways. I'm trying to almost have a, a religiosity in my prudishness. And that's one extreme. The other extreme is promiscuity. And on this side, you see people who are saying, I will do whatever I want with whomever I want, and I will refuse to be moved on the inside by anybody. Both, in a sense, are non-emotional. They don't prepare you to be able to experience true love, agape love, sacrificial love, where you love a person, you care deeply for them, there's the it factor, and you accept their liabilities. See, our culture says, accept the, accept the hot and sexy, but if that goes away, then you just reject the rest of the liabilities and you walk away. And God is saying, I want so much, something so much more permanent than that for you. I want something deeper than that for you. The person who overprotects on, on maybe a prudent side is going to say, I'm rejecting relationship. I'm not willing to give my heart, my soul to another person. And both are unmoved by others. Modesty, on the other hand, invites and it protects the growth of real love, honest love, true love that can last. Early feminists actually praised modesty as being ennobling to society. And I'm not just talking about the, the old temperance movement, you know, feminists. These were those temperate movement feminists were the ones who say basically things like this. Lips that touch liquor will never touch mine. Not talking about those feminists, right? I'm not talking about those early ones. I'm not talking about even like recent feminists like Simone de Beauvoir warned in her book, The Second Sex, that if society trivializes modesty, violence against women would result. And she was right. When culture banished modesty as a hindrance, men have grown to expect women to be casual about sex, and women often don't feel they have the right to say no. She was right. I believe that many of the problems that we have in our culture, like sexual harassment, date rate, eating disorders, many of the hurts, habits, and hang-ups, many of the traps that many get involved in, are connected to culture's attack on modesty and its pursuit of sexual immorality. Why? Why do we, are we heaping these things on ourselves? It's simply this. If I know my value on the inside, 
I don't need to expose the external for unsustainable attentions. God wants us to know the value he puts on us and the value of who we are. When you stand in front of the mirror and you look in the mirror and you're looking in the other person's eyes, which are your eyes in the mirror looking back at you, you are saying, I'm not saying I'm beautiful because you're external, but you're saying, I know that God is at work in me. I'm not there yet. I'm not finished, but he is at work in me versus glancing at yourself in the mirror, checking out your externals and grimacing at the corner of your mouths because you're not loving yourself and you're not respecting yourself and you're compromising your dignity in a way that doesn't honor you or others. There are some who reject modesty because they want to be fashionable. There are others who reject modesty in their mind because they're just proud they're like, I don't care. It's all about me. It is vanity, and our culture celebrates vanity, and it's having the best selfie, and it's the whole nine yards. It's just absolute pride and vanity. And so people all the time are checking their muscles, and they're you know, showing their six-pack, and maybe their six-pack is insulated really well, like a nicely insulated cooler, you know. <laughs> but we're putting our value in the external in our culture, and it's not humility. It's the opposite. It's vanity. But i got to tell you, Scripture teaches us that vanity is also fleeting and it's empty. And people are trying to recapture the vanity of their youth as a middle or later aged person. And so we have cougars who are out there to devour, right? That's what cougars do, right? They attack you when you're jogging along the trail. They jump on your back. They try to bite your spine. You know, they try to kill a jogger, right? Why do we call a person who's trying to recapture you? Because it's obvious that that person is out for themselves. They're not out to show dignity to themselves and honor someone else. They're out to pounce and get and recapture what was lost. And God is saying, listen, I want for you to understand the protections of modesty, why you would do it and how it actually strengthens you. Well, who should be honest? It's absolutely everyone. It's, it's all body shapes. It's all genders. It's not just the picture-perfect Ken and Barbie. It's really everybody should pursue modesty for their protection and understand how they can honor others. It's the student. It's the athlete. It's the dancer. It's the teacher. It's the white-collar worker. It's the blue-collar worker. And it's the plumber, especially the plumber, right? All of us should pursue modesty. That there's just a natural built-in protection for us. Why? Because modesty owned as a value on the inside protects the inner person and lovingly protects those around you. It's not about your preferences. It's not about fashion. It's actually about caring for other people. And you can still be incredibly fashionable, incredibly beautiful. Picture this for a minute. People love to dress up. You go to a wedding, it's one of the reasons people love weddings is because you get to dress up and you get to see everybody else dressed up. And it's just it's kind of classy and it's just beautiful. And we're going we're gonna to honor that bride and we're going to honor that groom. And you got like all the guys up there in their suits or tuxes or ties or whatever they're wearing. And then you got all the bridesmaids over here and they all look beautiful. And maybe like me, you've been to a wedding where, you know, there just seems to be one bridesmaid who's wearing it too high and too low. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like their dress is slightly different from everybody else's. And it almost seems like a disservice, like, like you're trying to steal the thunder of the bride. You're trying to take attention away. It's almost uncaring. 
Like, let me take attention away from my friend whom I'm standing here to honor, and I'm going to dishonor her, and I'm trying to bring vanity and unsustainable attention to myself. Isn't there something empty about that? Isn't there something just wrong with that picture? And God is saying, how do we not only consider how we dress, but how to honor others to do the caring thing? What do you need to do to be honest? Let me give you some practical tips, okay, both for men and for women. And it's not the dress code, but that we have responsibilities that God wants to create as he works on that value of modesty on the inside. So men, here's your responsibility in modesty. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us how to treat other people, particularly women. He says this, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. What's the standard? Treat them with purity. Protect them. Honor them. So men, here's, here's what we've got to do. First of all, we need to guard our heart. But understand, men, that guarding the heart starts with the eyes. That for us, it's always a glance. We're visual. We are going to notice. Men, you're going to notice somebody who's dressed immodestly. You're going to spot it. You're going to see it. And you're going to notice. But what do you do? You take that and you remove your eyes from that. You move your eyes away from that. Why? Because you're guarding your heart. It's interesting, in Proverbs 20, chapter 6, verse 25, it says this, To men, do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. Well, how does, how does she captivate you with her eyes? Because you're looking at her. That's how it works, right? If she's looking at you, you're not captured by her. But guys, when we look, and there's that moment where you want to be captured by her and captivated by her, and then it's not about how you can honor her, but rather our heart turns toward dishonesty. So, men, we need to guard our heart. We start there. That means there are times that you're watching TV and you need a flip channel. You need the channel you're watching and you need a channel to go to. And you got little kids in the room. It's not for the kids' sake. It's for the big kids' sake in the room that you're going to be watching that and that you flip to the last channel so that you can get away from that commercial to do it. Why? Because you're guarding your heart. You're averting your eyes. You're helping your children out. Don't lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. It starts with your eyes. Second, men, we protect women and their purity. We're to be a protector, one who watches out for them, not one who takes from them and steals, but who protects women to honor her. We also need to express ourselves with God-honoring confidence. Not this arrogance, not this pride, not this super vanity about what's on the outside, men. But rather just in humility saying, I'm, I'm proud of who God is beginning to make me on the inside and I'm not done yet. But I can look at that man in the mirror and have respect for him because God is at work in me doing what I can't do for myself. And I'm learning how to go from using women to love one and honor and protect and care for her. That's the heart of a guy in, mo in modesty. It's not this arrogance. It's not this boasting. It's not this pride or dumbing down yourself to try to fit in like any other guy in culture. It's to be truly confident with who God is beginning to make you and knowing that he's not done yet. Also, guys, get out of the selfish ambition and the vain conceit trap. 
Stop trying to fuel yourself up and give in the comparison trap and say how you should be this shape and you should be this way and you've got to do all these things because you want to fit into society. By all means, for your health, be in shape. Enjoy life. Be active. Do great things. But get out of the vanity trap. And then encourage your wife, your girlfriend, maybe your sister. For some of you, it might be a mom, but maybe some, a trusted female in your life who will protect you and warn you where you have blind spots. There are times in your life you think you can handle what you're handling, and it may be a blind spot for you, and she may be able to see it, and she can come alongside and just encourage you because you've invited her to say, hey, help me, encourage me. Got to protect the ladies, the little ones. Females, what about you? What's your responsibility in modesty? Well, number one, protect yourself from judging and from insecurity. I was watching a movie uh, last night, and a great line in the movie, it said, they're looking at a snow leopard. And one guy said to the other guy, he said, beautiful things don't have to ask for attention. Beautiful things don't have to ask for attention. Protect yourself from judging. There may be subscriptions you need to cancel. There may be, need to be a blog you don't read anymore. There may be, may be that section of the news or the entertainment that you are not so enveloped in anymore because for you it is constantly putting you in the comparison trap and it's leading to insecurity for you or vanity for you. But that vanity is fleeting and the insecurity is surely coming. Ladies, uh, I asked my wife, I said, Heather, what should I tell the ladies when it comes to the issue of modesty? She said this. She said, I tell the ladies to be fashionable and learn to use layers. Like totally be fashionable, but just learn to use layers. You can wear the fashions. You can do the things that our culture does, but learn to layer it up. Why? Because you're honoring yourself. You're dressing with dignity, but you're also honoring the men around you. Ladies, I would encourage you, avoid the trap of training yourself to indulge in visual lust. Pornography is not just a man problem in our culture. Our culture has been chasing and pursuing you, even as ladies, telling you you need to have the libido of a man and act like it, and you need to be visual like him, and you need to learn to devour those around you. And God says, I have so much better for you. I want to protect who you are, and I want you to honor those around you. Consider them above yourselves. Ladies, protect your heart and your attachments. You know how quickly emotionally you get attached to someone, how quickly your heart wants to swoon and get attached. Uh, Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7, it's a bride speaking to the daughters, the other single ladies of the land, and she's about to get married, and she's saying to these ladies time and again, these daughters of Jerusalem, she's saying to all the single ladies, she's saying, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 7. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. What is she saying? She's not saying be prudish. No, she's saying, listen, there's a right time and a place to arouse and awaken love, and it's within the context of marriage, but don't do it early. Mom's in the room and dad's in the room. Innocence is a beautiful thing to protect and actually give strength to your children, male or female. And also, ladies in the room, do not arouse or awaken love as if you are to be hot and sexy when you're not married. 
Because you can be hot and sexy in marriage in the appropriate context of that, where there's a safety and the security that this other person is going to accept the real me and who I am within the covenant context of a marriage. And God has said, I created sex. I delight in it. It's supposed to happen there. It's a good and beautiful thing. And then ladies last, protect the integrity of the men that you interact with. Contrary to what our culture says, an immodestly dressed woman is a threat to the mental, emotional, spiritual well-being of the men around her. Though it may come as a surprise, a female whose outfit calls attention to a good figure presents a serious temptation even to the most godly, devoted man. He's faced instantly with an internal struggle, and it takes significant effort on his part to make a choice to not fantasize about her. Ladies, help a brother out. We need it. That even the most godly pursuing man is just saying, just, just help, be fashionable, be beautiful. Layer up in appropriate ways, dress with fashion, enjoy being beautiful in your youth and in your old age, be beautiful, but let that beauty come from the value of modesty on the inside that is protective and strengthening to both consider others as more important than yourself. Men, you're to protect women. Using her beauty for selfishness magnifies her insecurities, and they're unsustainable. It's why you see a man who attracts a woman and a woman who attracts a man through her externals, and then he begins to use that, and the two of them use one another, and in just a short amount of time, they forget what they initially valued in the other person. It backfires on them. I thought she was so great because of this, but I've now become disrespectful in my actions toward her. I now am devaluing who she is as a person, and I can't remember what I valued about her anymore in the first place. It backfires on you. Learn to create the environment to grow true love. Next week, we're going to talk about how to create a love relationship that lasts. And we're going to talk about how if you felt like, are you falling out of love with your spouse, with someone else? How to create a love relationship that will help you fall back and grow back in love. And it's not an instant fix. But we're going to talk about how did God design relationships to work to build a love relationship that lasts. You won't want to miss it. Modesty, owned as a value, protects your inner person and lovingly protects those around you. Church isn't a dress code. Culture is not a dress code. God says, I have for you in the center of my will something to value who you are because I value you that way. And I want you to as well. It's interesting to think that Jesus Christ, in taking our sin and our shame upon himself, was beaten, was stripped naked. Our shame became his shame. He was put on public display bruised, whipped, beating, bleeding. Scriptures in one place say that he was unrecognizable as a, as a human. But he was placed there on a cross and he took all of our sin and shame. He who is holy and pure and righteous, who created the Garden of Eden, where men and women were in perfect relationship, Adam with Eve, they were naked, they were unashamed, didn't even know it. Sin entered the world and it changed that dynamic. What was the first thing they recognized? <gasps> We're
were naked, we need fig leaves, and they wanted to cover it up, and sin brought with it shame into the world. And sin has been chasing you around with the bug net, trying to catch you ever since. And God's saying, listen, I'm willing to, in my holiness, come down and form Jesus Christ, be stripped and naked, have all my dignity taken away, because I love you. And I'll take your sin upon myself. I'll pay for it in full before a righteous and holy God. And as God, I will restore what I created originally. And he says, since I did that for you, you treat other people that way too, with dignity, purity, protection, and reconciliation. With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just so we take a moment to consider your own life. If today you're realizing, I, I don't know how to become a new creation. I don't know how to change anything on the inside. I've tried different things and it just doesn't work. All I know is the outside. And I want to give you hope that Jesus Christ wants relationship with you. And he is the one. God will come into your heart, give you a new heart. The scriptures say he will make you a new creation on the inside. And that new work there begins to work its way out. And if today you're realizing, I have not given my life to Jesus, I've not ever embraced what he did on the cross for my sin, my shame. And today you'd like to say yes to Jesus, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated. Just repeat this prayer silently. God hears you right after me. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation. God, I realize you carried my shame and my sin and paid for it on the cross. And that you rose from the dead and conquered death. And because of you, I can have new life. I ask you to come into my heart and make me a new creation. Today, Jesus, I'm saying yes to you. If you prayed that today for the first time, you meant that, would you just raise up your hand? Anywhere around the room, we've got some people who'd like to give you some information. Just hold your hand up high so they can see you. Just hang out there. They're the only ones kind of looking around. Awesome. Hold your hand up high. Great. Right down here in the front if you guys need to. We've got one here. Anywhere else around the room, just hold the hand. They'll, they'll find you here in just a sec. Believers in the room, I, I want you just to consider for a minute again today, it's not about shame or how we are dressed in this moment. The, the question is, um, God, where is pride just crept into my heart? And where am I beginning to walk that line of vanity? Or where am I walking that line of insecurity? And would you just ask God to, to begin to instill in your heart the value of modesty uh, for your protection and your strengthening? You don't even know all what it looks like right now, but would you begin to ask him to do that? Father, thank you that you who didn't know any sin became sin for us and that you transferred to us the righteousness of God. Oh, we're so undeserving on our own merit, but we accept that God as a free gift today. We say thank you. Thank you. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.